Well, it's great to be able to come to you this weekend, and I'm so thankful that we have had a great time of worship, and I know right where you guys are, uh, whether you're at home or you're in your car or wherever you might be with your family, because my wife and I have been able to just enjoy so much the blessing of the weekend services together. So we invite you into the room and to end this moment that we have to honor the Lord and dive into his word. And uh, I know there's been all sorts of challenging things. We hear about that all the time and the crazy times that we're in. Uh, I, I heard somebody say the other day that uh, the leap year of 2020 is a lot different than any other leap year. That leap year here, uh, February, uh, actually had 29 days. We're kind of used to that on a leap year. But uh, uh, March had 100 days, and in April we've had five years, it seems like. So I know there's a lot feeling going on of all the things that we're uh, facing, uh, from the masks to the social distancing and all the precautions that we're taking. And I just uh, pray the Lord will bless us in the midst of all that, but I'm so thankful that we can have this moment right now to be able to come together and to share together in this time of understanding God's Word. Now, we're continuing on in the book of Philippians, and we'll, uh, we'll take a look at chapter 2, and if you want to turn to that, uh, it's verses 1 through 11 that we'll look at in just a moment, but I'm, I'm primarily coming out of the message translation, and it's really a neat one. Uh, when Nathan mentioned to me that I get a talk on uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, this is just one of my favorite passages, so I, I, I just love it, and uh, I, I remember him uh, saying that, I'm thinking, boy, how did I get so lucky to catch this one? Because this is what I would call a pivotal passage in the Bible. Now, in the Bible, there's a lot of pivotal kind of moments that we have. Uh, the, the pivotal passage actually is, uh, here is talking about the humility of Jesus, and, and that's what the title is, Lighting Up the Dark with the Attitude of Jesus, the humility that he has. Uh, you can look all throughout the scriptures and see pivotal moments. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you just see how God began that in that pivotal time. Later on in Genesis chapter 6, you see the pivotal moment when Noah comes on the scene, and the world is so sinful, it literally says, I believe it's in verse 8 of chapter 6, where it says that every thought, every inclination of the heart of mankind was only evil continually. That's a pivotal moment. What's God going to do? when sin has saturated the world that he created. You look at Genesis 12, and you see God talking with Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make you a great name and a great nation, and I'm going to bless the whole world, but I'm going to do it through you. I'm not going to go around you, Abraham. I'm going to use my people. And we in the life of the church now who accept Jesus as, as the Lord and Savior of our life, we realize that purpose, that mission, that promise is for us as well. He wants to reach the world, but he wants to do it through us. So many different pivotal passages. You look at Moses. You've got the, the, uh, uh, the moment of taking off his sandals because it's holy ground in front of the burning bush. You look later on at Joshua, and, and he's worried about Moses being gone. And God says, Joshua, I'm going to be with you the same way I was with Moses. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to be with you the same way. And you look at the end of Joshua's life, another pivotal passage where he turns and he, his life is about done. And he looks at the people and he says, all right, you guys have to choose. If you're going to serve the gods, the idols back that side of the river, you go ahead and choose now what you're going to do. But as for me and my house, he says, we will serve the Lord. Pivotal moment. And today we come to another pivotal passage that 
helps us understand what really is important because Paul was in prison and he's trying to light up the dark and, and he is. God is using him in a tremendous way. Many people, the guards, the, the, uh, the, the, the prisoners are all coming to faith and he sees what God's doing. But he writes to this Philippian church and he wants them to know the things that they need to shore up in their heart. So today I want to suggest that there are five questions that I think will shape our heart and attitude in becoming more like Jesus. And that's what we want to do. We want us to become less like ourselves and more like him. And if we can press these questions in our heart, I really believe it'll make a ton of difference. Now, question number one is simply this. Are you living in the blessing of being in Christ? Right now, would you say you're living uh, within your privilege and understanding all the things that he has for you? Now, in the very first verse, here's what Paul does. And again, let me remind you, I'm in the message translation. So it may be a little different from what you're reading or, or thinking about, but it'll appear on the screen. So you, you just take it on in. Here's what he says. He says, if you've got anything at all out of following Christ, if his life has made any difference in your life, if being in a community with the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, you can almost hear him just kind of plead with the people in a rhetorical way. He's appealing to their integrity. He's saying, listen, if we're going to have the heart of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus, if we're going to light up the dark, it's going to be because we realize what we have. Now, I, I think it would be neat if you had a moment right where you are to just stop and think, what has been the blessing in my life of becoming a Christian? What has God done? What has he brought into your life? Or maybe what has he brought back? I remember years ago in the 70s, they, they, would, uh, they had an idea or kind of a thought that there was on these vinyl albums back in the day, or the day is back again with us, but they would have a thing called back masking. Nobody knew if it was really true or not, but if you played the record backwards, you would hear something. There was something on the Beatles' white album, song number nine, about Paul being dead, and he looks fine to me these days, so that, that isn't the case. But I, I remember that idea of back masking because somebody created a joke and they said, what would it be like if you played a country song backwards? What would that be like, you know? And they said, well, it's real easy. You get your house back, you get your wife back, you get your truck back, you get your dog back. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was worth that. We won't do that next service, except there is no other chance I have on this one. Anyway, supposed to be a little attempt at that. What do you get back? If you would sit for a moment and say, God, what have you brought me for the first time? Or what have you brought back to me? Because in all honesty, some of us this weekend could say, God, I am so thankful. I'm living in the blessing that Paul's talking about here. I have gotten a lot out of following Christ. You've made a tremendous difference in my life. The community of the spirit that I have with other people, the, the compassion that I have. Some of us have had our health be brought back or our wealth or our marriage or our family or our sanity. And we sense that God is really doing something in us. And that's what Paul was pushing them to evaluate, to take stock of, to take an inventory of. And he appeals to their integrity. He says, come on, our lives are so much better because of what Jesus has done and the way he's come into our life. You see, all of us, I think, need to be able to take our spiritual pulse 
You and I have to be able to, to say, God, I need to kind of find out where I am. I, I love the devotions that Neil Wyndham writes for us. Uh, they pop in 10 o'clock, 4 o'clock, all, all sorts of further teaching that we can have that remind us where we can just take stock of where our heart really is. Uh, through the years, I've, I've had an irregular heartbeat. It's good now. Got a few meds going on. But I learned early, you check your rhythm, make sure you're not in AFib, but you just kind of, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I can tell. You see, we all need to be able to have that and have accountable relationships and encouragement that help us take our spiritual pulse. In the book of Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus gives John that revelation, and he writes to seven different churches. He begins with the church at Ephesus, and he ends with the one in Laodicea. Now, the one in Laodicea, you may have heard that phrase before, where he said, I wish you were hot or cold, in or out, with me or against me. But because you're lukewarm, you're somewhere in the, in the middle, I'm kind of nauseous. And he, he gives an evaluation of them, of what they really needed, the holes in their spiritual resume, if you will. In the very first one with Ephesus, he says, you're doing this good, you're doing that good, you're doing good over here, but here's what I have against you. You've, you've fallen away from your first love, which was me. He says, you, know, you need to go back and do the things that you once did in this loving relationship rather than fighting all the battles, staying close to me. See, he was just helping them take their spiritual temperature, take their spiritual pulse, if you will. And to the Philippians, Paul says, I've got to make sure we're all lined up here. Now, question number two, if we want our attitude to be the attitude of Jesus, and if we want to be able to light up the dark with his truth and his power and his warmth and love, then we have to ask the second question that Paul asks of us. He says, will you seek to live in spiritual unity with each other? Will that become a priority? Not just recognizing the blessings, yeah, God, we're really thankful, but will you make a conscious effort, he says, to live together in this spiritual unity, loving each other? Here's how he says it in verses two through four from the message. He says, if you've got all those things together, if you realize the blessing, and he says, then do me a favor. <laughs> agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends, don't push your way to the front, don't sweet-talk your way to the top, put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. He's saying you got to get out of yourself a little bit. If you and I are going to have the synergy of fellowship of the, the body of Christ coming together, not only in our church and some Zoom groups and areas to serve that are a little bit of distancing and that type of a thing, but worldwide, if we're going to have the synergy that God wants us to have, to have this spiritual unity, we'll have to get beyond ourselves. And let me go out on a limb here and say something that I think sometimes is hard to hear. It's been hard for me to hear through the years, but I've had to hear it over and over and I'll probably have to hear it again you need to begin to get over yourself now turn to your neighbor and say in a different way I got to get over myself okay turn back to them and say you need any help with that <laughs> because we all need a lot of help with that if I'm going to get over myself notice these phrases Paul says, agree with one another. It means you got to talk. Love, don't push. Put yourself aside. Offer some help. 
See, in a world that we live in that thinks, if you give me 15 minutes, I can save you 15% on something. When we have commercial after commercial and temptation after temptation of get ahead, accumulate, do that, what can I do that's going to be of an advantage to me? How do you consider others a little bit better than yourself? When we're told all the time to look out for yourself. How can we gain a holy perspective? It's not by ourself. We have to look to Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith who loves us. Now, let me say something that I'm not saying, okay? Let me clarify. Number one is this, in no way am I saying get over your circumstances. You and I don't get over our circumstances. We get through our circumstances with God's help, with one another's help. But you and I have to get over ourselves. We have to get over our pride and the things that make us be all about us. Rick Warren in his great selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, simply said in his first line, it's not about you. This life isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And Paul is appealing to their integrity to come together with a spiritual unity. Now, question number three that will press us a little further. And that is, do you realize the depth of humility Jesus showed? See, it's one thing to say, God, we've been so blessed. Yeah, we're conscious of that. We're living in the blessing. That's awesome. Yes, we want some kind of spiritual unity so, God, you can use us in whatever way you want. But do you realize the next thing of looking to the humility of Jesus and what he did. Now, I want to ask you, as this appears on the screen, to read along with me, okay? It's verses 5 through 8. You don't have to, but if you want to, go ahead and read. And it'll be, like I say, it's from the message translation. It'll be a little different. Here's what he says. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Paul just explained to the Philippians and to us where Jesus came from, what he left, what he endured, what he laid aside. And if there will ever be any kind of humility in our life, it won't be something that we conjure up and, and, and kind of self-abase and put ourselves down. It will be because we realize the humility of the one who left heaven for us. Now, I don't have a lot of favorite songs. I know most of you would disagree with that. I am obsessed with a lot of music, but very few are my favorites. But I want to share with you the lyrics to one that really is 
one of my favorite songs. And the reason is because it's based right on this passage of scripture from Philippians 2. You don't always hear a, a great profound amount of good theology and understanding in a lot of songs today. Oh, we hear a lot of worship and that's great. But listen to this song by Matthew West called Leaving Heaven. Here's, here's the words, okay? Well, it's been real nice living way up here in paradise above the atmosphere. But I can't stay long. Got to make my way. I'm leaving heaven today. You see, the world is dark and it needs a light. Going to hang my star in the eastern sky. Everybody's going to know where I touched down. I'm leaving heaven right now. I'm going to walk around that broken earth, trading in these streets of gold. So if you ever wonder how much you're worth, you should know you're the reason why I'm leaving heaven. Ain't going to be no kingdom. Ain't going to be no crown. Just a little old manger in a little old town. But that'll do just fine for this humble king. I'm leaving heaven. Let all the angels sing. And it goes to the last verse. And when my time comes to an end, I'll lay down my life like the truest friend. When I get back home, I'm going to make some room. So don't you worry. I'm coming back for you. And you will say goodbye to this broken earth. You're going to walk on streets of gold. So if you ever wonder how much you're worth, you should know. I'm the reason you'll be seeing heaven. And you're the reason why I'm leaving heaven. It's a powerful song. And it absolutely says in the clearest way I can think of, the truth of this pivotal passage for us today. What does the humility of Jesus look like? Too many times we just think, okay, a nod to God. He died on the cross. Merry Christmas, happy Easter, see you in heaven. And we don't stop and think about what he left for us. And that prompts our heart to be willing to leave our comfort zone and follow him. There's a big word. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure this word isn't even a word. I put an A-L on the end. But I would call it to become incarnational. All right? It's not incarnational. Okay, it's not a place you rent cars, nor is it a, a NASCAR kind of thing. All right? It's incarnational. To become incarnate means to take on flesh and blood. Some of you may remember uh, Chile used to be sometimes called Chile or Chile con carne. Now, I'm an Illinois kid, so I didn't know you put pasta in Chile until I married into the Hoosier State. Now, I love it. Yeah, uh, my mother-in-law puts elbow macaroni in there. It, I, I love uh, her chili. It's great. But Chile con carne is chili with meat. It's beans and tomatoes with meat. Taking on meat, taking on flesh and blood, taking on humanity. That's what Jesus did. He embraced it. Remember, there's a song years ago in the life of the church. It actually was like the number one song in the 90s for churches because it was a song of transition. It, it kind of helped us move away from all of the old hymns to what's some choruses we can hang on to. And it was a song called, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. Just a real simple little chorus. And it just simply says, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. And now here comes the theology. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. 
From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. That's good. Good theology and a good understanding of what Jesus left and how far he came just for you. Uh, our daughter uh, in, in uh, Romania, Rachel, interesting, Sam mentioned a little while ago, he had some plans in Colorado. I get that. Uh, if plans would have gone as we planned, we would have been flying home after three weeks from Romania after a good mission time with our, our daughter and her family over there. Would have been flying today. But as we all know, plans change. Something happened a couple of years after our daughter went over there. Her uh, mission professor, a guy named Mike Nichols, great guy, love Mike, awesome fella. He went over to kind of look and encourage her, and he said, Rachel, you, you've done something here in a couple of years. You learned the language. You even have the accent, kind of like the people here. And he said, you have become an incarnational missionary. And I'd never heard that. I'd heard uh, of the incarnation with Jesus, but I'd never heard that missionaries are supposed to do that. And then I started to think, wait a second, isn't that what Paul said? He said, I become all things to all people. Why? So that by all means, I might save some. I mean, even if you watch enough animated movies, if you've ever seen Wreck-It Ralph, you understand incarnation. <laughs> you understand if he's going to save this little race car gal named Glitch, who has a few little ticks in her life, all right, if he's going to save her, he has to leave his game and go into her game to save her. Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to see the humility of Jesus and say, you know what, I'm going to lay something down. I'm going to lay myself down. I'm not going to think so much of myself. I'm going to realize that John chapter 1 is so true that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, Jesus left heaven and took on humanity to be one of us. There's a picture that's going to come up in a second. It's a gal from the Northside family here. Her name's Stacy Lowe. And Stacy, uh, she, uh, she was in uh, my wife's small group, uh, actually table group, a few years back. And uh, she was in our small group a little later after that. And she uh, gave us a text, oh, about a month ago, said, I just want to ask you and Sue Lynn to be praying because I'm going to New York as a nurse. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, boy, Stacy, we'll be praying for you. And she's kept in touch with us, and she's out there. I, I think the picture would have been of Times Square where you kind of see her by herself. And, and she, uh, she really looks forward to, to be able to come back and be with us. But she's putting herself, like many folks are today, at risk and in harm's way with the coronavirus. She's helping out a lot of homeless people, going through a lot of stuff physical and emotional distress and threat just to be able to do that. Now, she sent a text back uh, to my wife, and I, I had told her, I said, listen, I, I know you were recruited to go out there. Just want to let you know we're praying for you. Now, I'm not sure. Let me take a look, and I'll read that off the screen uh, with you. She simply said, I don't know if it makes a difference, but I wasn't recruited unless you meant recruited by him. Because if that's the case, then I was recruited. My heart was pulled this direction. I signed up with the crisis staffing company because I couldn't ignore the feeling of needing to be here. I did sign on for another two weeks, and I'll be here till May the 12th. So I look forward to coming home to be with my family, my friends, and Northside. 
See, all of us have to take a moment and say, God, are you tugging me somewhere? Are, are you calling me somewhere that I didn't necessarily expect to go? Not, not just now in our situation that we have worldwide, absolutely now, but all throughout our life. To say, God, are you prompting my heart to become more incarnational on behalf of somebody else, to be there for them, to be there with them? That is the humility of Jesus. That is the attitude of Jesus. That is the sacrifice of Jesus, is to go and to trust and to risk. To maybe prayerfully calculate that, but to listen carefully to what his spirit might be prompting you to do. To who to, who to have a conversation with. To who to... To, to move out with and who, who does God want us to come alongside even though we're going to be distanced who can we get into their mind and heart of encouragement and love them and help them now the fourth question is after we understand the humility of Jesus after our hearts are touched and moved by how selfless he was leaving heaven just for you and me that the next question is, can you imagine how highly exalted he is overall? And Paul says in verses 9 through 11, because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything. Even so that all created beings in heaven and earth, that would be angels and demons, even those long ago dead and buried, the alive and the dead, will bow before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Paul says you need to understand the elevation that Jesus is at now. As he stooped down so low to enter our world and humbled himself so that you and I could be forgiven, that you and I could be saved, and you and I could share that message with everyone while we have breath that we would come in contact with. Can you imagine how elevated he is now? But we have to be willing to bow. And we have to be willing to confess. It's just a matter of timing. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every angel will acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. Every demon one day will bow at his lordship. Every person who's ever lived, he is elevated and lifted up. And we get to share that message of his humility and his exaltation and his lordship to help people come to that point of bowing before him before it's too late. So question number five. Will we live surrendered lives together for his glory? Will you and I decide that we will be influenced by the contagious element of his humility and love and sacrifice and passion and follow him and risk and do that in a united way, in a humble way? Will we live lives that are surrendered? As I mentioned when we started, I love the moment that we have here together. I love that we get a chance to just kind of come into your living room uh, on a weekly basis to encourage you to sit down with you, to worship God with you, and to encourage from, from the Word. What we want to do as we end our time right now 
is to have what might be called a little bit of a benediction. Uh, we have some friends, Steve and Annie Chapman, Sulin and I have known them for, oh goodness, a long time. I think we had them in our church where we were at in 1980, long ago. And they wrote a song called, As You Go Home. And they would sing it at the end of all their, their uh, little conferences or marriage enrichment moments. And, and it was just this blessing on mostly couples saying, we, we want you to love each other. And, and I called Steve, oh goodness, 20 years ago. And I said, Steve, I would love to use that song if you, with your permission and uh, be able to, to just let encourage our people because it's the perfect benediction if I can take it from marriage just to worship. So... Sam and Hannah are going to share with me in this, this moment right now. And what it is, is truly a moment of benediction for you. It's a moment of saying, we're so thankful that we have this great privilege to come together. It's much like Paul was telling the Philippians, what has God done for you? Think about that. Hold on to that. Celebrate that. And now let's let God change our attitude by the humility of Jesus so that our fellowship with him might be right and our testimony to the world might be penetrating. But we pray his blessing upon all of you. And I pray that you will feel that and see that like never before. Hope you have been rewarded for all the effort you have made. Come to this place and worship for a while. And from our hearts we pray that if your love for the Father has somehow been renewed, that it might not be stolen by the cares of life that wait outside. And as you stay home, may you not feel alone. Holy Spirit, go with you, and may he assist you in those times when love is hard to show. May you not be alone. May you not feel alone. May you not be alone as you stay home. the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. Will joy and comfort give you taste? Presence. May we 
allow him to do a work in our lives through the surrender. We love you all. We'll see you all next week.